This program is brought to you with support from the U.S. EPA. We're here to present the EFC Network Podcast. The Environmental Finance Center Network is a partnership of 12 centers serving 10 EPA regions. The EFCN provides training and technical assistance to small water and wastewater systems. This podcast series has been designed to help system personnel improve technical, managerial, and financial capacity of the utilities and communities they serve. Welcome to the Environmental Finance Center Network Podcast. This is Greg Pearson, your host and water and wastewater trainer at the Great Lakes Environmental Finance Center. Today, we will be talking with Dr. Tim Calling about an often misunderstood but nevertheless crucial topic, which is levels of service for small drinking water utilities. In today's discussion, we hope to address what levels of service are, how they can benefit utilities, and how utilities can use them to improve current operations and achieve sustainability into the future. Dr. Calling has been a professional engineer for nearly three decades now. Over his career, he has worked on all manner of civil infrastructure. He is also an associate adjunct professor at Michigan Technological University and director of the Great Lakes Environmental Infrastructure Center that serves EPA Region 5. Tim, thank you for joining us today. We're delighted to have you with us. Hey, thanks, Greg. It's uh, good to be back. Tim, in a previous podcast, uh, The Case for Asset Management, You had mentioned levels of service as one of the five components of the asset management process. Those five components were creating an asset inventory, determining levels of service, identifying critical assets, achieving the minimum life cycle cost, and establishing a long-term funding plan. So today we're going to zoom in on this concept of determining levels of service for utility. Tim, what are levels of service and are they confined to just the asset management process? Yeah, good place to start, Greg. So we've all probably heard the axiom that it's a little bit cliche, but you know what gets measured gets done. And level of service goals are really a form of performance management. So they measure things that are important to the utility, and more importantly, they measure things that are important to the users and our customers. So level of service goals are things that we commit to measuring over time, and we also commit to trying to make changes to accomplish those level of service goals. So they're not really something that we do lightly. They're things that we're gonna spend money on trying to achieve. So they typically are are out there. Uh, We wanna use level of service goals to try to drive our practice or to avoid some type of a problem or solve some type of problem. Um, They can even define the kind of the product that we deliver. So level of service goes well beyond kind of the asset management field. It's, it's integral to asset management. As you said, it's the second item in the, the asset management items. Um, but they can also relate to customers. They can relate to measures of financial health. They can also be tools for planning in small utilities. So when we talk about something that's as complex as, say, the water system or, or, or water utilities and water systems, it can kind of be difficult to get our arms around level of service goals all at once. So maybe let's, let's take a step back and let's talk about something that's a little bit more basic, a little, little more simple. So we've all got packages delivered, right? It's pretty common to buy things online and have them shipped to you. So Greg, when you hit buy on you know something from Amazon, what's the first thing you worry about? Well, I guess my concerns would be about the package getting to me and not getting delivered to someone else. Uh, getting to me in a reasonable amount of time and arriving undamaged. 
Yeah, th those really are the big three when we talk about level of service goals for shipping, you know, whether it's UPS or FedEx or DHL, they all gather information on the packages that they ship and track. So they use that information to refine their services. And of course, you as a person that, you know, purchases their services for shipping, you care about them too. So, you know, it's pretty common for these different shipping operations to have goals, the level of service goals. Say 95% of our packages arrive to the correct location and on time. Um, I think UPS has something like a 95.8% on time delivery. You know, that's something that they tout on their website. So again, it's important to you, it's important to them. We can also look at things like, um, you know, damage rates. So we probably want less than say five, 10% of our packages to get their damage. Um, undamaged. So we want most of our packages to get there undamaged. So when we have an issue, when we're not meeting our performance goals for, for package delivery, we can look at things like, you know, where is the process getting delayed? You know, our overnight packages that are kind of at a premium, are they getting hung up at a specific location? And then we could take a look at that specific location and start to evaluate how and why the delays are happening or why we have an excess damage at a specific terminal. And, you know, we can kind of look at different things. It could be staffing, it could be scheduling, it could be, you know, we might determine we might need more contractors to help out. And so we can kind of look at that whole logistics supply chain on our packages and figure out where the delay is. We can even benchmark ourselves against other offices or other terminals or other, other competitors. So delivery time is also kind of one of those uh, level of service goals that shows a different level of service, two different levels of service. So if we think about it, if we ship something standard delivery, you know, I think most places it's something like seven to 10 days that they'll guarantee the package will get there. And you don't pay a whole lot for that. If I really have to get it there the next day, um, you know, we can do an overnight package. That's gonna cost us a lot more and there's a different level of service that we're expecting. So it has a different cost and it has a different user expectation. Okay, I can see how in your example, the levels of service help us to assess the performance by comparing it to a goal or a standard. And I can see in your example, we're paying for an overnight package delivery is almost like a, it's like a service agreement with the person who's shipping the package. But I'm a water guy. Can you speak to me in my language? How does this relate to a water utility? Well, I'm gonna turn it right back on you again, Greg. So um, you said, you know, when you're, when you're a water operator, right, you have important things that keep you up at night. There's things that you're worried about. So when you went about your daily job as an operator, what were the things that were on your mind? Yeah, when I think back to my previous work as an operator and manager of a small utility, uh, we did have a lot of priorities that we paid close attention to. Uh, first and foremost was compliance with regulations, uh, mm -hmm. primarily the Safe Drinking Water Act. And uh, in fact, we even tried to exceed standards to provide not only safe water, but a high quality product. Uh, we were also concerned with uh, providing a sufficient volume of flow and sufficient pressure and uh, ensuring reliable service without any outages, uh, responding to customers if they had an issue or a question, and uh, being efficient with our budget so that we had money when we needed it to repair or maintain or replace an asset. Uh, However, we didn't really uh, have a process to measure and record uh, these goals. Are these the type of things you're talking about uh, with measuring the level of service goals? 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's the interesting thing about level of service goals is whether you realize it or not, they're probably out there already. So, you know, most of the time it just makes sense to acknowledge that they're there and, and come up with a process for measuring them. So they might not even be stated as something that you think of as a level of service goal. So I'm going to start out with the first one you had, which is, of course, having safe, high quality water. That's first and foremost pretty much on everybody's mind when we start talking about drinking water. So the Safe Drinking Water Act pretty much defines what that is. And it's actually got two different levels of service written into it. So there's a lot of things that we would look at to see if we're complying with the Safe Drinking Water Act and being in compliance, right? So as standard practice, we're gonna go out and measure those things that are on that national primary drinking water standard. So, you know, what are the level of disinfectants we have in, in the, uh, in the water that's being consumed, uh, microorganism levels, uh, do we have organic chemicals or inorganic chemicals in there, the radionuclides. There's all those things that are requirements. And so in this case, a regulatory standard is actually a level of service goal. It's kind of the bottom, it's the, the lowest acceptable goal. It defines what is the lowest acceptable standard, but it still is a level of service goal. Now, you said something else that was interesting in that, you said that you guys tried to provide high quality water, not just meet the basic standards. And if we think about that again, in terms of the uh, Safe Drinking Water Act, there's secondary drinking water standards. So there's about another 15 uh, elements that we can measure. And those elements, um, if we manage those elements, they go into providing a high quality water. So, you know, it's water that doesn't have uh, a color to it. You know, nobody likes to drink water that is kind of tinted uh, brown or, or doesn't look, you know, clear like we think water should, should look. And, uh, you know, nobody likes water that has a bitter taste. So even though these secondary standards aren't things that relate to health, they're things that relate to quality and people's perception of, of the quality of the water. So, um, you know, that's a great example of like the secondary water standards are things that we can measure um, to provide a higher quality product. Okay, I can see what you're saying. Committing to secondary drinking water standards uh, is providing a higher level of service by providing a better product. Is that like that overnight package in the delivery business example? Yeah, absolutely. Again, we're paying for a different level of service. We've got a different expectation for it. Okay, so in that example, there's a cost for providing that higher level of service. Is that always the case? Or are all level of service goals going to cost more money to utility and its users? Well, certainly the examples that we talked about so far are uh, they're basically direct measurements of the quality of the product that we put out. So usually managing or dealing with those are going to cost us a little bit more. Um, so a lot of times providing a higher level of service does cost more. So it's one of the reasons that we have to have level of service goals. It's kind of an, an agreement between the utility and the customer about what they want you to provide, what they want you to spend money on. You know, example, if we go back to our package delivering business, um, you know, it's really nice when you have a package that you thought was supposed to show up in 10 days, show up in two days. That's, you know, happy days. That's a pretty awesome thing. Um, but would you really necessarily wanted to pay five times that amount for something you really didn't need? So, you know, a lot of it, when we talk about level service goals, it's, um, it's something that we have to negotiate with the user. 
You know, in some cases, our users might not want to pay, pay for something, pay extra for something, and they might even agree to a lower level of service if it saves money. So in both of those cases, we need to make sure that we're providing and, and communicating with our users and we're, we're doing what they want, basically. I can see how a level of service is a balance between uh, what we provide to the customer and the cost. Yeah. I remember as an operator, we were always under pressure you know, to be more efficient and keep costs down. And there was always a tension between the cost and the service provided. And I can see how prescribing levels of service goals, like you were describing, would at least allow us to have a discussion with the water users on what we provide for the money. Mm -hmm. So one of the things you said earlier is that the utility needs to commit to tracking the level of service goals and also commit to making changes in order to meet that goal. Can we talk about that a little more? Yeah, so in the previous example where we were talking about things that were directly measurable to the, the water, the thing that we're providing, and some of those were regulatory, right? We a lot of times don't have a lot of options. But when we start talking about things that are a little bit more abstract, right? They're, they're not givens because they, they might not directly um, affect the, the product that we're delivering. Um, we can talk about some more abstract things like pipe breaks, right? Nobody likes, them, likes for them to happen, but they do happen from time to time in water systems. So when we have a break in, in a main, you know, bad things happen as time goes on when we have a break that's losing water. We could potentially lose pressure. We could potentially get a backflow event that could, uh, you know, cause problems with their users. We could have problems with the leaking water undermining a street, or it could create a safety issue. It could add to our repair costs if it damages part of the street or some other infrastructure. And, you know, of course, nobody wants to see uh, uh, leaking water flooding somebody's basement and damaging the, the things that they have in their basement. So at that same time, we know these bad things happen when there's a leak. We can't just jump at shadows. We can't run out every time that somebody calls in a leak and you know rally all the forces, get everybody in in the middle of the night to go look at something that might not be a real big issue. We'd rack up a ton of overtime and you know it's just not an efficient way to do things. So if we think about that, we're trying to respond to a pipe break. The first step is always trying to determine the nature and severity of that problem. We wanna verify that that leak is on our system. It's not a line that the homeowner's responsible for. Or it's not an irrigation line or something else. Um, so that initial uh, level of service goal to respond to breaks in a, in a given amount of time. So that's the time between, say, when we get the call to the time when we do the assessment, we have an understanding of what the problem is. And we could go out and just kind of arbitrarily set that out and say, you know what, 45 minutes, that's a pretty good time. We should be able to get from wherever we are to wherever we need to go in the network. We need to take some time to figure out what's wrong, do an assessment, determine what the next steps are. So again, we could set that level of service goal for to respond to those things in 45 minutes. So there's a couple things there. That goal has to be specific and measurable. So we can't just say, you know, hey, Greg, we're going to respond quickly. I want you to respond quickly to these events. We need to have something that's that's pretty, you know, pretty defined, and um, we have to be pretty prescriptive about how we measure it too. So I said that our goal is to get somebody out to the site that has enough knowledge to be able to do kind of that assess assessment and determine what the next steps are. So we can kind of move the process along of repairing the pipe. Um, so they have to assess that problem. They can't just you know call somebody back or just show up on the site. They have to be able to go through that step, 
um, to assess what the problem is. So why would we care about this metric as, as a, a water utility? Why, what's that going to do for us, Greg? I can see that measuring the time, it means that our measurement is it's not subjective. Yep. It helps us to respond intelligently. And I could see how a utility could benefit from having a, strain per, a trained staff person on site early to assess the problem and secure the site. As an operator, I know that water is revenue. So when you have leaks, it's literally money going down the drain, pun intended. From a consumer confidence standpoint, it also would really have a negative impact to have a leak running without having someone from the utility on site. It would make it look like we don't care. Uh, and that early response could keep the leak from becoming a safety issue. Uh, so having someone on site to coordinate with the street department or public safety would be an extra uh, advantage of this of this uh, arrangement. And I could see where an early assessment could also help determine if the leak was something our staff could handle or if it was a major product project that would require us to have a contractor with larger equipment on site. So depending on what part of the system the leak incurred, in, it may also impact our overall risk of operating the system. And we may even need to change what we do at the plant. Yeah, there, there's lots of really good reasons to, to be out there early on site. So we determined it's important. Now we need some consistent method of measuring it. We were pretty prescriptive about what we were going to require in terms of when we figured out that we've crossed, kind of we've completed that task. So we need a consistent method of gathering the data. We can't just count on people during a break event to you know, write down the time that you called in. So um, one of the ways we could do it is we could have it as, as a field on our break report form. So it's a prompt to ask, you know, when is the initial assessment done? When was the call made? That could be something that was uh, completed with that form. And then of course we can go back and figure out when the call came in. When did we get notification? So that would give us a start on the data we need. It would also provide a whole bunch of other information with the break report form that we might be able to analyze. I can see where having a prompt would be important. It would uh, prompt us to collect the right data. And uh, operators uh, often use pre-formatted log sheets to gather normal, normally collected data, such as chlorine residual, uh, flow volumes, uh, run times of pumps, and in a, a break situation, there's so much going on during a, during a water main break that everyone's really focused on getting it fixed as quickly as possible. So it would be easy to miss key information like, the, like that which you're describing. So once we gather that information, um, what do we do with it? And why should we be collecting it in the first place? Yeah, that's always a really good question to ask. And that's probably the first question to ask is what are we going to do with the data? So data collection costs money and we're, we should really only collect the things that we know are going to help us to make better decisions. They're going to inform on something that we're going to make a decision on. So if we think about that, what changes in operation would we drive if we look back after a year of collecting this data and we said, you know, Greg, there's a couple times where our response times were really large. You know, they, they were greater than 45 minutes. And we had several events where, you know, we didn't, we didn't hit the target we can go back and we can look at those events a little bit more. We might even talk to people that were involved in the events and get their recollection of them. So we might look at them and decide, you know what, a lot of these events occur at night. So no surprise, right? We, you know, everybody's gone home for the day. 
we might look at it and say, you know, it's just not going to be possible to get 45 minute response time at night uh, because people have to come in from where they live. They have to wake up, drive in, drive out to wherever the, the problem is. So we might need a night shift or an on-call shift where we have somebody that's ready to go to respond to an issue like this if we have a bigger system. We might determine that you know one of our issues is communications. So we find out about the break, but we can't get a hold of the right people to get out at the right time. So we might determine you know one of the ways we can do this and, and reduce our response time is by getting employees' cell phones and then circulating that cell phone list with the understanding that when that phone rings at night, you, you definitely answer it. <laughs> it means there's a job to be done. We might even look at things uh, like you know an understanding of our um, distribution system. We might need better maps or, or um, we might need just to take the maps that we have and put them in the service vehicles that we have. So if we look at kind of our responses to these, these big events that went over 45 minutes, you know, maybe some of the time was spent running back to the office to try to get a set of plans or figuring out where that leak is. So again, it could be something really simple, like just putting a plan set in the vehicles. It might be something more advanced where we'd say, let's have a, a cell phone app that will show us, you know, right exactly where we're at and what parts of the system are next to us. So all of those things are things we might consider when we start analyzing data. We, we might even consider that the metric needs to change, right? Which is kind of a surprise to a lot of people. What do you mean you could change your metric? So one of the things that we want to make sure when people go out and do that early response is that they're doing the right assessment of the problem. You know, in that performance metric of just responding in 45 minutes, you know, it's also implied that people are going to do the right things, right? So we could look at our responses and say, okay, how many of these times did the person make the right type of a call when they got out there and did that initial assessment? Did they, you know, correctly classify the severity and the, and the type of or the part of the system that the leak was on? And if they're making a lot of wrong calls, that might lead us to change, you know, who we send out or what methods we use or what tools we use. So again, we could change our metric and say, not only do we have to respond in 45 minutes and be able to do that initial assessment, but that initial assessment has to be correct 85% of the time. So again, it's not just good enough to be fast, we also have to be right. <laughs> so that may moderate people's behavior, right? They wouldn't just try to get in under that 45 minute uh, response, they know they have to be right as well. So good performance metrics allow us to be flexible. They allow us, um, they're not too prescriptive and they allow us to come up with creative solutions. Okay, when you describe how the utility can change the metric over time, that's both insightful but also a bit of a surprise. Uh, could we say that's just moving the goalpost, so to speak? <laughs> yeah, it, it could certainly feel like that, but it's, you know, honestly, it's perfectly acceptable to change a level of service goals, but obviously you got to do it for the right reasons. So in our example, you know, we talked about the response to breaks and we said we had to set an initial kind of level of service goal. We said 45 minutes, you know, hopefully that's based on experience. But you know, until we collect data and understand what the impact of that is, you know, 45 minutes might not be the right number. So, you know, we said our main thing for that performance metric, the main thing we were trying to do is offset or stop these bad things from happening. Um, so we could look back and say, okay, on some of our larger breaks where some of these bad things happened, was 45 minutes you know, too long? 
did the bad thing happen, like you know, a loss of pressure in a backflow event? Um, did we lose uh, service in, in a bunch of areas because we lost pressure you know, in half an hour, say? So we can look at that response time and kind of dial it in. We can determine what's significant. You know, is 45 minutes too long? Is it, is it, uh, um, should, it should it be less? You know, conversely, we can also look at that performance metric and use it in areas where maybe we have to cut cost. So let's, for example, say that our utility has to do some cost cutting and you know, we're meeting our performance goal of 45 minutes even at night uh, for a response time. Um, let's just say we're, we're in a point where we have to cut that night shift. We just don't have the money to do that. Um, so in those cases, we'd want to go back and look at kind of our performance metric, look at what we've done over time, and look at the areas where not having that night shift is going to make, it, make an impact. You know, how long would it take us or how long did it take us before we had that night shift? Um, what do we expect the response time is going to be and how many events in a year are we not going to make that 45 minute response time? So, um, you know, we could take estimates from that data and we could bring that back to our, to our managers at the utility and that would give them good information to make a decision on. They know what they're getting into when they're cutting that night shift. They know what to expect in terms of in, you know, extended response time and they have a pretty good idea of how many of those events might even be some of these catastrophic events where really negative things happen. So you're describing a process here how utilities over time can re refine level of service metrics to ensure what we're measuring is meaningful and you're also describing how those measurements can be used to inform operational and financial managerial decisions that we can use uh, to make decisions for a utility. So how can a utility actually get started with level of service goals? Yeah, my advice is definitely to start small. So start with something that you know is going to make a difference or that is an existing problem and then kind of work backwards to figure out how you can address that problem in your operations. You don't definitely have to jump into this all at once. It's, it can be kind of overwhelming and say, okay, starting tomorrow, we're going to measure 50 different things and that's going to affect you know, how our performance is. No one likes just jumping into something like that. And especially if they feel like they're measuring things that there really isn't going to be any change realized from it, or that we're not really sure what you're going to do with this data. So part of the process of getting into level of service goals is to explain it to the staff and kind of get everybody's buy-in on what they're measuring, how they're measuring it, why they're measuring it, and what's likely to come out as a result. And so the quicker that utility staff understand that this is a positive thing, it's a positive force for change, the, the better off um, it's going to be. Training in performance management is also important as well. So setting performance metrics can be really tricky. Um, it's, it's something that we want to make sure we improve or, or we change that metric as, as we start going forward and deciding whether it's meeting our needs. Um, but we really have to be careful to make sure that the metric is measuring the thing that we think it is and that it's going to bring about the desired changes. So a good example I can think of this is um, fast food, for example. Fast food restaurants are really performance-centric. They have a lot of you know, level of service goals in them. And one of those level of service goals that fast food restaurants, or actually all restaurants look at, is food waste. 
So how much of the food actually got sold and how much got wasted for whatever reason? So there's a kind of a neat story that I read once that talked about a chain of um, fast food restaurants, they were burger joints, that um, really tried to cut down on their food waste, just really minimize it as much as possible to maximize profits. What they found is they actually had some pretty rough financial straits because they, they lost business. And if we think about food waste, it's kind of a neat, neat problem, right? Um, we can waste food several different ways. It can spoil because we didn't use it in time. Uh, we can drop it on the floor. Somebody can steal the food. Um, those are all things that relate to waste where we're not selling the burger, right? Um, another way, a big way that fast food chains lose food is by preparing it ahead of time and having it in, in inventory for somebody to come along and buy. And that's great when you stop and you show up and you say, hey, I'd like a burger, they've got one already made for you. But of course, there's performance standards, there's standards on how long that burger can set under light, how long it's, it's safe and how long it's, you know, it, it has quality when it's sitting under light for 20 minutes or whatever. So after a period of time, restaurants have to turn that food over. It hasn't been purchased in so long, they've got to dispose of it. So in this case, this chain was just trying to maximize um, or minimize, I should say, loss due to food waste. The problem was they didn't consider how that impacted their overall operation. They didn't, in, in, they didn't consider what was important to their users. And it's kind of in the name, right? Fast food has to be fast. So in this case, they had almost no inventory of, of pre-made food. So when somebody would order, the you know, chefs would throw it down on the grill and it took a lot of time. And as a result, people didn't come because it wasn't fast food anymore. So that's just a kind of a good example of being, you know, performance metrics are hard. Level of service goals are hard. Um, we have to make sure that they're in line with what the customers expect. Well, that's definitely an illustrative and cautionary story. It reminds us to make sure we're measuring the correct thing when we establish level of service goals. And you also uh, advised us to make sure we're measuring and only collecting data on what's important and start small and feel uh, free to adjust our metrics over time. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so what areas do water utilities typically create a level of service performance measures for? Well, Greg, whether you realized it or not, uh, at the beginning of this podcast, you hit on most of those. Uh, when I ask you, what are the things that you worry about? What's the thing that keeps you up at night as an operator? You, uh, you had said that safe and high quality water you know, as a product, those are things that you were focused on pretty much all day. Those are definite performance metrics. Sufficient volume and pressure, ensuring reliable service without outages, and then uh, responding to customer complaints when there's a problem. And then of course, the big one, which is of course dealing with money, making sure we have money. Those five categories are really good places to start. So obviously we already talked about secondary drinking water standards as an easy place to look at improving our product quality, which is of course our water quality. Um, there's a lot of information about those performance metrics. It's really easy to, to kind of jump into that. Pressure and volume are operating parameters, which are pretty easy to change um, into level of service standards. Um, reliability, we already talked about that a little bit with our response to our, uh, to our break issue, right? That wasn't a direct measure of reliability, but it was certainly a, a precursor to reliability. If we can get out there early and respond to uh, uh, when we have a break, that's gonna mean that we're gonna have a more of a likelihood 
of uh, not having downtime. Customer service is kind of an interesting one because that's something a lot of people avoid. So yeah, we don't go, don't don't want to go out and talk to the public. <laughs> you know, they they might be unhappy with what we provide. Um, but it's interesting when we measure customer service uh, response through surveys, we indirectly measure a lot of factors, and a lot of times we they actually give us ideas of what's important. They'll they'll very explicitly tell people what we want. You know, I don't like the water; it stains my tub, or it has a bitter taste, or you know, the pressure in my second story building is not good enough. So looking at something as basic as customer service surveys actually may give us a lot of clues to other things that, that we might change that might be operational or product related. You know, the final one, of course, is budgeting and finance. And that really has a ton of different metrics and different level of service goals we can track. So we can track something as basic as like the sinking fund balance we have, um, operating ratios, or even the amount of money that we spend on reactive maintenance versus preventive maintenance. Those are all different level of service goals. Well, that's a well-rounded discussion of the five areas that we can begin creating a level of, of service goals for. Uh, you also uh, hit on uh, the definition of what levels of service are or earlier or, and throughout the discussion. Uh, we've found out that there, we've learned that there are metrics that uh, represent an acceptable or target level of service. And levels of service are things that uh, utilities commit to measuring performance toward these goals. And uh, that we can use them and review and track these measurements over time. And I can see that uh, the level of service goals can really positively impact a utility uh, over a wide spectrum of areas from operations to budgeting and communications. Uh, Tim, I want to thank you for this enlightening discussion about levels of service goals today. Thanks, Greg. It's always good to talk to you about these types of things. We also want to thank the listeners for joining us today. It's our hope that the points we covered lead to a greater understanding of levels of service, and we want to encourage you to begin using these concepts in your own utility. To learn more or to join an upcoming training event, access print resources, or request technical assistance for your utility, you can go to efcnnetwork.org. Thank you to all our listeners for tuning into this episode of the EFC Network Podcast, brought to you with support from the U.S. EPA. Be sure to stay tuned for future EFC Network podcast episodes.